I know all of us are good Christians in this room, and we barely sin uh, every now and again. But uh, if we were if we were sinners, and uh, heaven forbid, we played cards, all right. And maybe 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 a couple of you have maybe played poker before, all right. Not naming any names. I can see all the smirks on the people's faces, so I know the ones that play cards right now. Um, and uh, so let's let's uh, whenever you're whenever you're playing poker, right? And you recognize that you have a good hand. Okay, you gotta put on your best poker face, right? And uh, and what what do you typically do once you know that your hand is super good and that you're not gonna be beat? What? All in, all in. right? You go all in when you recognize that you have a hand that is winning, that is really good. You get some confidence out of that, right? Like you're willing to go all in, and and when you recognize that your hand is not that good, right? Then you put your best poker face on and hope that you can maybe trick some people into thinking that you have a good hand. Uh, but at the end of the day, you don't have one, and and so, um, but when you have a good hand, man, you're you're willing to go all in. I want to kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we as we talk through some of this uh, today. So. We're in this series talking through Acts, and uh, I want to unpack a, a passage that um, that deals with man. Acts was growing, the church was growing, the early church was moving forward. People were added to the number of the church day by day, and just some crazy, awesome stuff was happening during this season that uh, that I want to share about uh, this afternoon. And I want to talk specifically about uh, Acts chapter six. And there's this one part where um, some issues start coming into the church, all right? And so so hang with me, bear with me as we kind of unpack some of this stuff. I want to share a few insights with you. It says in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, so they're growing daily, they're growing regularly, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Right? It says, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. All right, so the backdrop of this story is you have, you have a couple people groups. All right? This is all about the early church. Okay? And you have the Hellenists who were Greek-speaking Jews. More than likely, these Hellenist people grew up outside of Jerusalem. They grew up in other countries and other areas, and they learned Greek, and they were, they were products of the Greek way of thought and life and all those kind of things. And then you had the Hebrews. The Hebrews spoke Aramaic. Um, most of them probably lived, lived solely in Jerusalem, and uh, they were kind of like the native people. All right, so that'd be like uh, if I, uh, the, everybody that was born and raised in Wahlberg, right? And, um, and, and they're born and raised in Wahlberg, they live in Wahlberg, all they know is Wahlberg community and all that kind of stuff, and then you take somebody from New York and bring them in, right? They're a little bit different, right? Not in a bad way, just different. And so, so that's kind of what was happening is this early church, man, they started seeing conversions from all these different people. They were all Jews to begin with, but there were all these different people that were coming in and they were becoming a part of the church. And so it says the widows were being neglected, all right? The, uh, the widows, like, like as uh, Jerusalem was considered a holy city, 
And so some of these people that lived in other countries would migrate to Jerusalem toward the end of their day so that they could be buried and that they could live kind of in their holy city in retirement. Uh, one, of the, one of the guys aptly pointed out it's kind of like the modern-day Florida, right? Everybody migrates. When you get a little bit older, you head on down to Florida. And, and, uh, and so that's what Jerusalem was, like a modern-day Florida. Everybody, all the older people were kind of going to Jerusalem to live out their days, and, you know, statistically proven, the, the guy dies first, and so then you're left with some widows. And so the church was called to take care of these widows, but they were being looked over, the Greek-speaking ones, because they were not in the in-crowd with the Hebrew uh, crew, all right? And it says, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That means... They had a, a daily thing where they would give out food, they would give out a certain amount of money, and, uh, because if you remember in Acts chapter 2 and also in Acts chapter 4, the early church recognized that they had a good hand and they went all in. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, in Acts chapter 4, verse 30-something or 40-something, that they were all in. They put all their, their possessions, all their money, all their land, everything they had, the whole, all the church, every, that'd be like all of us saying, all right, we understand that God's winning this thing, and so we're all going to go in. All our money, all our land, everything, we're going to put it all in, and then we're going to give as each had need. And so that was what was going on during this day. All right, so they're, they're giving out as each had need, and everything was fine until this division started. All right, so get this. Division always seems to be a primary tactic of Satan. Division is a primary tactic. Okay? We're heading this direction. Imagine like, like let's say if, uh, if we have a tug of war versus uh, another local church. All right? Hope City versus somebody else. And we all jump on this big rope and we're all pulling in one direction. We're all pulling back, going in one direction. That's a lot of horsepower. All right? But if... Somebody says, well, I'm going to pull this way. And somebody says, well, I'm going to pull this way. And somebody says, eh, my, my hands are tired. I don't really want to pull. And they just kind of, it, it doesn't, it creates chaos, right? It's a tactic that Satan uses to keep us preoccupied. So the apostles saw this coming. They saw, like, our mission is to bring the gospel to other people, to the least, last, and the lost and yet, here we have in the inner circle of our church, there's this division that's starting to happen. People are beginning to choose sides, and it's starting to create a, a wedge. Division always seems to be a primary tactic. And so, first off, I want to ask you, are you divided? Like today, even in your own heart and in your own mind, and in the way that you think, are you divided? Because if you're divided, you can't continue to move forward. Are you divided in the way that you think? Sometimes you want to follow Christ. Other times you'd rather have the things of the world. Sometimes you want to serve. Other times you'd rather just be selfish and do your own thing. Are you divided? Because if there's division then we're not heading full on towards Christ the way that God wants the church to move forward. So what do the disciples do? It says, the twelve, meaning the, the twelve apostles, they summon the full number of the disciples. 
So they got everybody together, which is a good thing. Anytime there's division in the church, it's good to bring everybody together and say, okay, guys, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. So they bring everybody together and they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, I've heard this passage unpacked a couple of different ways. And this is where uh, uh, I, I want to make something extremely clear in understanding as we kind of unpack this. Okay? The, the apostles, the 12 apostles were not saying, okay, we have to go over here and do our job, which is preaching the word. And those widows over there that have this need and they're complaining, somebody just needs to take care of that. That's not what was said. That's not the message that the apostles were trying to communicate in saying this. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Literally, the way that this passage is, is uh, translated, it literally means it is not honoring to God for us to leave behind the word of God to take care of the tables. So understand this. It's not right for us to lose sight of our primary mission because there's disunity in the church. The mission was tell people about Jesus. The mission was help people see that Jesus was the Son of God and that God was coming back and that He was providing a way into community with Him. So understand this. Unity impacts our mission and our witness. Unity impacts our mission and our witness. If all of us cannot get along, then how in the heck do we expect people from outside of our community to get along? We have to be in one accord. We have to be together. We have to be pulling together. And the main thing is the mission. It's take the message of Jesus to others. And if we don't have that as our main mission, if everyone in this church does not understand that, then we're going to be sitting, we're going to be off base. It's like herding cats. We're going to just be all over the place. That is the main mission. We cannot leave behind the message of Jesus to be consumed by food, by money, by material things, by all of this kind of stuff. That's what the apostles were saying. Now understand this. In the early church, there was no hierarchy. It wasn't the apostles that had it all together, and then like, like the lower people that didn't have it all together, and so we're going to put them, because they don't have it all together, we're going to put them on the parking lot team, right? And, and then there's the apostles, and they've got it all together, and so they're going to be like the, they're going to be the preachers, right? And, and, uh, and this guy's kind of got it all together, so we're going to put them over in, in children's ministry, right? That's not how it worked. No, there's no hierarchy in the early church. And so, guys, I want you to understand this. Like, hear this, and hear this from my heart, because, man, I feel like the church has, has really got this wrong for a long time, is there is no difference between the person or people that stand on this stage and the people sitting in the seats. There is no... The, the only difference between what's going on here and there is my role is different. But I am no different than you. And you are no different than me. We're all the same. There is one superstar in this story, and it's Jesus Christ. 
There is one hero of the story, and it's Jesus Christ. There is one good shepherd in the story, and me and everybody else in here is the sheep. And it is our goal to continue to follow the shepherd. We have to embrace that as a church that is going to continue to move forward with the message of Jesus. Because if we don't, what happens is the mentality is the pastor's got it. I remember back in the day growing up, and maybe you remember this if you grew up in church, if you wanted to get somebody saved, what was your job? To, to get them to church, right? Your job was to get, get their butt in the seat, right? And, and then if, if you really wanted to get them saved, then you get them to the pastor, right? And you go, hey, pastor, do your, you know, God thing and make them saved, Right? Like, that's how I used to think. That's how we used to operate as a church. Man, that's so far from the truth. Did you know that the same power that the disciples and the apostles experienced when they did miracles and healings and all those kind of things is the same power that you can have today? You have the same power that conquered the grave. You have the same power. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is chomping at the bit to empower you to do something for God's kingdom. It might take the shape of some kind of crazy miracle. It might take the shape of some thing that's going to come out of your mouth that you've never even thought of before. Who knows? But I'm telling you, we all have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead in each and every one of us. What's holding us back is our obedience. I don't submit to it enough. I don't listen enough. I don't bend my knee enough. I don't get on my face enough. And so what I'm telling you is that we have a mission here and we cannot allow dumb, divisive things to keep us from the mission of bringing the name of Jesus to people. Amen? That's what we got to do. Okay, so it says, we shouldn't, uh, it says, therefore, brothers, in verse 3, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to do this duty. So get this. The apostle said, Pick people who are, they have got a great reputation, they've got a great witness, they're full of the Holy Spirit, and they have wisdom, and their job will be to serve tables. You understand how elevated that position is? Like, think about this. In the early church, there was two things that existed. There was the ministry of the Word, and there was the ministry of the table. In the Greek, when it, when it says the word serve, tables, and then later on it says the ministry of the word, the word ministry and the word serve are the same word. It means to attend to, to care for. And so in the early church, the only thing that they had was the ministry of the word and the ministry of the table. The ministry of what comes out of your mouth and what comes out of your brain and your thought process in the ministry of what you do with your hands and your feet. Meeting needs. That's the purest sense of what the church is called to be. 
And that's what we have to understand how to step into. What if in your life and in my life, that was the cry of my heart in your heart? Was God with my thoughts, in my mind, in my mouth, empower me to say what you want me to say when you want me to say it? And with my hands and my feet, empower me to move and walk and do. You see, so many times... We tend, to have a, we tend to fall one way or the other. There's a, there's a group of people over here, and they say, I love studying the Bible, and I love reading Revelation, and I love getting deep into Scripture, and I love, I love learning all the doctrine and all the things about Scripture and all this kind of stuff, and I love that. I ain't going to talk about it. I'm not going to tell anybody about it. I just like to study. And then there's people over here, and they say, Ah, Forget the, forget the reading part. I wasn't much of a student in school. I just want to get dirty, right? I just want to serve people. I just want to, I want to just, just serve people and hug people and love on people and all that kind of stuff. Here's the problem. If the church does not exist with those two things walking hand in hand with the Word and the table, if a church solely exists in the Word and that's all, they just focus on the knowledge side, then you have a bunch of pious, arrogant people that think they've got it all together. Because the church becomes so sterile that no one's willing to come in the doors because everybody thinks they're so holy and they've got it all together. On the other hand, you remove the Word of God from it and all you do is want to serve people and love people and all that kind of stuff, then what you end up with is a social justice club. The Civitans, (laughs) Kiwanis, whatever, fill in the blank. And those are all good things. It's great. But it's not the message of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know this, but when you read through the Gospels, just look at Jesus' life. He spent some time in the temple, and then he went to the street. He spent some time in the temple, and then he went to the street. He stayed in the street. He ministered with his mouth. He ministered with his hands and his feet. That's what we're called to do, a ministry of the Word in the table. Now, are you going to have a bend one way or the other? Of course you are. Some people are more bent towards service, and that's great. Do it. Don't forget about the message of Jesus with it. One of the things, let me give you something practical that you can do. People who love to serve, like that's your bottom line. I just, I want to serve. I want to serve on the street. I want to serve food. I want to do all that kind of stuff. One practical thing that you can do is just ask if you can pray with somebody. That's it. You don't, have to, you don't have to give them some Roman road to salvation. You don't have to say, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior or you're going to go to hell? You don't have to do any of that. Like all you've got to do is say, hey, can, can I, is it okay if I pray for you? Like literally, last night, I'm sitting in the middle of downtown at the service that we do down there, and I'm talking to this girl. And I just got done speaking, and I sit down, and I'm talking to this girl, and she goes on to tell me, that her, the, the baby daddy of her six-year-old child, her ex-fiance, she watched him murder her 22-year-old son. Like, that broke my heart. And I'm sitting there thinking, there's no amount of words... I can, I can preach the greatest message, the most impacting thing, like whatever can come out of my mouth... And there's not one thing that I can say that is going to touch her heart. 
the only person that can touch her is the Spirit of Jesus. That's all. And so the reason that I go and not only use my words, but I sit down with people and listen to their stories and lay hands on them and pray for them and talk to them, it's not because I think that I have something better to offer, not because I think that I've got it all together or that, or that, that somehow like I'm going to say something magic and that person is just going to get saved. It's solely because I love that person. Because Jesus has changed my heart. And I can't not talk about it. And I can't not go to places where Jesus needs to be seen. And so I want to tell you, you don't have to go to downtown High Point. There's people in your family, in your work, in this church, sitting beside you, that not only need to hear encouraging words out of your mouth, but they need to see tangibly what it looks like when someone loves them with their hands and their feet. Maybe it's write a card. Maybe it's take a meal. Who knows? We have to embrace this idea of ministering in the word and the table. And so here's the last thing, um, and I, I'm going to end this in just a second. I'll, I want to I bring this all together, and, and it's, it's in two verses. All right, first off, it says this. Um, it says, so uh, what they said pleased the whole gathering in verse 5, and they chose, get this, Stephen who is a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Right, and they chose a bunch of other people. I don't have time to unpack that. But they chose Stephen, who was a man full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And his job was to minister to the tables. Once again, do not lose sight. The ministry of what you do with your hands and feet is equal with your ministry to the Word. It is the exact same. It has to go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. The apostles understood this. All right? And so they chose somebody that was full of the Holy Spirit and that was full of faith to be able to discern and walk in the ministry of the table. All right? So here's the deal. Some of us are sitting in this room thinking, dude, I, I, that's not me. I'm not, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. I'm not an apostle. I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. Fill in the blank. Whatever it is. Let me tell you where you're wrong. It's in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing wonders and signs among the people. This guy that they chose to serve the tables was doing the exact same thing as what the apostles who walked hand in hand with Jesus for three years was doing. He was doing signs and wonders. And if you keep on reading in Acts, later in Acts 6 and in verse seven, chapter 7 and chapter 8, Stephen gives this ridiculous speech that like cannot be beat and they actually end up killing this dude for his faith. He was that bold. Stephen understood what it meant to minister to the table and to minister in the Word. So here's the deal. God wants to use you. He wants to use each and every one of us with what comes out of our mouth and with what we do during the week. 
All right? This right here, what happens on Sunday, is a blip on the screen of your week. We have 45 minutes to an hour together, and that's it. The rest of your week should not be like, oh, I went to church, this is awesome. By like Monday evening, right? And then we trudge through the West Rodriguez, ho home. And then we come back to church, and we sing songs, and it's fun. And it's like, where'd you go, Jesus? I'm going to do this. No. I promise you, if you get on your face and say, God, use me. I'm available. I'll, I'll, I'll take the spirit of Stephen Okay, if it's minister in the tables, I'll minister on the tables. If it's minister in the word, I'll minister in the word. If it's clean toilets, I'll clean toilets. If it's take out trash, I'll take out trash. If it's stand on front of a stage in front of 10,000 people, I'll do it. We have to be unleashed to understand the freedom that we have to minister. There's two things that's going on. Some of you in this room cannot get over your sense of pride. You might think, man, what, what, if I say, what if I say something about Jesus to that person and they don't think I'm cool anymore? Who cares? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. What do people think of me? You know what? It doesn't matter what people think of you. What matters is the opinion of one. And then there's some people who say, man, I just, I can't do that because, dude, you don't know my story. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my experiences. Guess what? God does. Are you a follower of him? If you're a follower of him, not only does he know your past, but he's cleansed your past. And he set you up to be able to tell your story of redemption to a dying world. We all have the freedom to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not my job. It's all of our jobs. It's all of our get to. We don't have to. We get to do this. Because you know why? I've seen the deck, and I've got my cards, and the deck is stacked, and we win. I've got the winning hand. If that's the case, and if you understand that also, then the only response we have is I'm all in.